Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4, beginning at chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to Christ the the word. Thank you very much, Dave, and um, it's good to be with you again, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much for those who just gave the interviews. I really enjoyed those and um, hearing from Andrea in particular, but also Nathan, those who are still essential workers, just reminded me of how thankful I am to all uh, the people, especially our St Stephen's people that are doing those essential work services at the moment. Thanks for all that you're sacrificing and doing. Uh, But hearing from Paul and Helen too, people who are within the lockdown, but um, going through different issues, facing different issues. I'm thankful for everyone who's enduring the lockdown so willingly and well as well so um, yeah great to hear those uh thank you too for the photos um i really liked someone sent in this morning a photo of a um must have been a screenshot of one of the breakout rooms i thought that was a great thing to do so maybe if you go into the morning tea breakdowns today take a snapshot it's great to see the different faces that have been staying on after the services to take um part in different ways i also i saw a a photo of a couple uh, on the photos before the service who a little bird told me what celebrated a um, 
significant event this week too. So congratulations to the senior Haywards, Milton and Karen. I think it was your 44th wedding anniversary on Friday. Congratulations. Great to be able to rejoice with you in that. Well, let me pray and we will um, get into things. Heavenly Father, we uh, <clears throat> we thank you for uh, these opportunities to, to gather in a different way, but still gathering at the same time as your people to come before you in prayer, to sing your praises and to sit under your word. And we pray that now as we sit under this passage that Dave just read for us so well, that um, uh, this passage of the Lord Jesus being baptized and facing temptation, that you might use it to encourage our hearts, strengthen our resolve, deepen our love for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, often in sermons, there's a, a familiar pattern to them. The preacher does some teaching on the passage, maybe illustrates it from a couple of uh, issues in life, but then finishes with the implications of the passage. And the implications of the passage are the, is the point where the preacher says, because of what we've just learned from the scriptures, we should do this. Your life should be affected in this way. Do this or don't do that. Because of what we've just learned, you should believe this or not believe that. It's the point in the sermon, sermon where the, um, the rubber hits the road and we, we think about what we've just thought of, which is probably something happened 2,000 years ago, how it should affect our lives today. The implication will flow out of the passage. I'd like to reverse that normal pattern and structure today. I'd like to start with an implication of this passage and then, and only then, get back to the passage in a little bit more detail to see what else we might discover. So let me give a clear uh, implication of today's passage, and this is not going to be a surprise to anyone who saw that children's slot that Mel brought before, where we saw Luke in a cape. I always like to think of Luke in a cape. Whenever I think of him, he has a cape in my mind. I thought that was very good, but it's not going to be a surprise to anyone who saw that. The implication is know and love the word of God. Know and love the word of God. That's a clear implication of this well-known passage where Jesus is tempted by the devil. Three times Jesus is tempted in this passage, and three times Jesus quotes the scriptures. He, he speaks from the word of God and is able to resist temptation. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist, do you, to uh, work out that implication. Know and love the word of God. Knowing the Bible, believing it, understanding it, loving it, allows you and I to resist the devil. We will know right from wrong, and that will be ever so helpful for us in making right decisions. This is necessary. Our world has always has a right and wrong problem. The problem is the world doesn't know what right and wrong is. People have different standards of what's right and wrong. Countries have different standards of what's right and wrong. Cultures have different standards of what's right and wrong. Different periods of history have different standards of right and wrong. And that means that people say, well, well can we even know what's right and wrong? Is there such a thing as right and wrong? Well, for the Christian, it's really clear. There is, we can know, and in the scripture, God tells us. He teaches us right and wrong so that we can spot temptation and know what it is and know the right way to go. But I want to say that knowing and loving the word does even more than just helping us with temptation. Uh, it does that. It helps us navigate temptation. But knowing and loving the word does more than that. It helps us navigate life itself. And knowing how to navigate life is a big, big deal. One of the difficulties of this life that you and I will go through at, at times in our lives is we don't know what life's about. It's not just that we don't know what's right and wrong, that's part of it, but it's more than that. It's about what, what's life, what's the meaning of life, what's the purpose of life, why are we here, what's it all about, what should we value, what should we live for, what should guide us, where are we going, 
all of us, if we're honest, if we ever stop and think about this, we, we, we've got problems in this area. There are times I've certainly felt like this, but I'm, I'd be surprised if there aren't others out there who felt the same way, where we wonder whether everyone else got a guidebook to life when they were born, which has told them all the answers and what they're supposed to be doing, but we missed out on it. Because we have those moments where we go, well, where am I heading? What, what job should I be doing? You, you finish school and you think, well, is that it? No one's really told me what, what, what I'm supposed to do next or where, where I'm going. Should I marry? When should I marry? What, what are my priorities in life? What will I live for? What's real? What's valuable? And so people end up, that they do one of a few things. They either just do what they want to do. Well, I feel like doing that, so I'll do that. Or they do what they see other people do. They, they just copy. Or they take, they have no plan. Uh, no thinking. They just kind of exist. There, there are people like that. Uh, or they take their direction from what the media says or the culture says. P people don't know what to do. And this kind of thing can cause people enormous stress. What is life about? Midlife crisis is precisely, I I've kind of lived all this time and now I regret it and I think it, I haven't got much time left. What do I do? Am I? How do I make the most out of life? Am I wasting my life? What should I do while I'm here? Well, for the Christian, if you've got the scriptures... Those things are not a concern, not a stress. You've got God speaking to us about himself, and he's the center of all things. So if you know about him, you know about everything. You've got God in the word of God speaking to us about us, and he made us. So he knows us, knows us better than anyone else could, or knows what, what's good for life, and, and he tells us about it. He tells us about life. You've got God telling us what's right and wrong, what life's about, what happens next. The scriptures don't just prepare us for temptation. They wonderfully do that. But more than that, they prepare us for life. Now, the Bible can be hard work. I don't shy away from saying that. Reading it, learning it, learning to love it can be hard. But, but I think that's deliberate. God could have given us all this in any range of ways. He could have automatically downloaded it into us like a computer. He could have zapped us with knowledge or just given us visions. He didn't. He gave us a book. He gave us a big book. A book with lots of words, and some of them are hard words, and, and, and it requires thought and consideration and questioning and piecing it together and working things out. And I take it that he knows what he's doing. He's given it to us this because there's value in it for us, and I would imagine that part of the value is the hard work. Like many things in life, the, 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 the part of the value is the hard work you put into it, and the scriptures need, require that. We, we need to work hard on it so that we get it right. Because you can get things wrong from the Bible, sometimes spectacularly wrong. Jesus quotes the Bible here three times, but he's not the only one who quotes the Bible. The devil quotes the Bible here once, but he, he quotes it wrongly. So we need to work. And, and the, the history has been littered by people who got the Bible wrong. Sometimes innocently, they just got the wrong understanding, sometimes deliberately, false teachers and those sorts of things. So we, we need to work hard and take care that we, that we read the scriptures rightly. But it's all there for us. That is such great news. There are so many competing voices in this world leading us, influencing us, affecting us. There's the voice of our own internal desires. There's the voice of uh, the advice of friends or family. There's the voice of the culture around us. The only voice you can be sure and certain of every time is God's word. God's word. He's given it to us. We've got to know it, trust it, live by it, love it. God's given it to us to bring comfort and knowledge you know, we're in an odd period of time at the moment. Sometimes it's, it's a word from the Lord that gives us knowledge and therefore gives us comfort.
It will show us right and wrong. It will provide truth and grace for us. It will give us direction for our lives, advice on how to live, understanding of uh, evil and good. Uh, if you've got specific needs, if, if the last four weeks of lockdown has, has raised specific issues or questions for you, turn to the word of God. But work on it. Uh, perhaps this lockdown period would be a, we've still got a couple of weeks, right, of level three, would be a good one to get into the word. Some people find it really hard. It is. I, I still remember it was the one thing that changed my Christian life more than ever when I really got to grips and knuckled down and tried to work on the scriptures. Do some work on how to read it. Maybe meet up with someone else. Get in touch with James or I. We would love to help you if you'd like to get into the word more or know how to understand it better. But that's a clear implication, do you see, of this passage. Know and love the word. Jesus is tempted three times. Three times he knows the word. He's able to respond to the devil and he resists temptation. Know and love the word. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like us to put that implication into effect. And when you do it with this passage, what happens wonderfully is we see deeper truths in these verses. This is not just a passage that the implication is know your Bible. There's more going on here. As soon as you don't just skim over these verses, but you actually stop and think about them, you study them, you reflect on them, you ask questions about them. Well, as soon as you do that, you can see that this is a very strange passage. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. We're told that Jesus got led by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. Why? That's odd. Why would the Holy Spirit deliberately lead Jesus into the wilderness to get tempted by the devil? Another question. Why is the first temptation wrong? He's tempted to turn stones into bread. Was it wrong for Jesus to turn stones into bread? Could he not do food-related miracles? He, he does later on with the feeding of the 5,000. Why would it be wrong for him to eat here or turn stones into bread? Uh, a further question. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. In other words, temptation was a normal part of Jesus's life. But we don't read of all the temptations of Jesus, only this, this particular time uh, where there's three specific temptations by the devil in the wilderness. So, so why is this separated off and focused on? Well, friends, many of those questions are answered when we realize that Jesus didn't just randomly quote the Bible to fight temptation here. He didn't just randomly quote any verses from the Bible. He only quoted from one book of the Bible. All three of his quotes came from one book in the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, they only came, Deuteronomy is a big book, they only came from two chapters in Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and chapter 8. And if you don't know the story of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible, and it's telling the story of Israel in the wilderness after they've been rescued from Egypt and before they've got to the promised land. So they're in the wilderness uh, in this kind of position. And I'll let you do the, the, this work by yourself, but if you, if you were to turn up Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 right now and read it, it says this, that Israel were led by God into the wilderness for 40 years to be tested, to see what to for their to see what was on their hearts, to reveal what was in their hearts. Well, now Matthew chapter four, verse one says Jesus has been led by God into the wilderness for 40 days and nights to be tested. Do you see that there's a comparison going on here? There's something happening. Well, what is it? Well, let's think about it a little bit more. 
what links, there were two passages in our reading, not just one, there were two passages, one of Jesus being baptised, the other of Jesus being tempted. What linked those two passages? Jesus was baptised by John, and then God's voice came down from heaven, pronouncing, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. So God has just called Jesus his son. This is my son whom I love. Then in the temptations, in the first two temptations that happen, the devil says, if you are the son of God, do this, dot, dot, dot. So he's just been called God's son. And then the devil immediately says, if you are the son of God, do this. It's as if there's some doubt over whether Jesus is God's son. But it's not that. It's actually that. The question is, what kind of son of God is he? That's what's going on here, because Jesus was not the first in the Bible to be called God's son. There are a few in the Old Testament who are called the son of God or a son of God. But for our purposes this morning with this passage, the one we're interested in is Israel. The Israelites were called God's son. You can look it up for yourself in Exodus chapter four, for example. And in Deuteronomy, God's son was led by God into the wilderness for 40 years to see what was on their hearts. And friends, they were found wanting. And they were found wanting in the areas that Jesus is tempted in Matthew chapter 4. They, it was found out while they were in the wilderness that they were more interested in bread than the word of God. It was found out that they put the Lord their God to the test. It was found out that they turned away from the one true God, making golden calves and the like, and in, in a sense, worshipping other things. So Jesus is being contrasted with them. Do you see that? He too is God's son. He too has been led by God into the wilderness, and he's tested in the same areas as Israel, but he stands strong every time. Unlike Israel, God's son who couldn't withstand the temptations, He's shown to be the one who won't fail, who won't fall, who will succeed in his mission. Do you see that there's deep truth in these verses if you know the word, love the word, and discover it? Now, you won't get this unless you do the implication that I started with this morning, unless you know the scriptures and love them and therefore search them and think about them and question them. You don't just skim over them. You, you won't get it. This isn't just a passage where the message is know your Bible and then you can resist temptation. It's a, it's a message showing the depths of who Jesus is, the incredible reality of his identity and, and what, what he's going to be and do. Now, I realize that as I, so I want to encourage you, know and love the word, then you'll get these treasures. But I recognize that as I say that, some of you it might do the exact reverse. You might say, well, well, great, Jay, I would never have seen those in those verses. So I give up. I'm not even going to study the Bible anymore because I just can't get that kind of stuff out of it. No, don't give up. Give up on things that are hard that are not important, but you don't give up on things that are hard, which are important. I've given up on tons of things in my life that are hard that are not important. I try to learn a certain game or do something else. and I, It's too hard. I give up on it because it's not that important. But there are other things in my life that are hard and that I don't get yet that I carry on with because they're important. Like my wife. And my wife, I don't get all the time. We've been married 24 years. Even in the last four weeks, I've realized aspects of my life, my wife, that, um, yep, still don't quite get her. But I don't give up on her. She's worth it. She's worth it. As valuable as Jamie is, the word of God is much more valuable. Don't give up. Work harder on it. You can plumb these. If I can do it, I was a milk factory worker. If I can do it, anyone can do it. 
But this is a great passage revealing who Jesus is. And you'll, you'll see these truths if you know the word and love the word. This is a big moment in the Bible because the whole Bible, if you read it from the beginning right through and get to Matthew, the whole Bible has been waiting for the God's son to arrive, the one who would affect God's saving plan, the one who would rescue God's people. And the Old Testament had a number of possible candidates, Israel being one, but none of them were the one. But then you read of Jesus being baptized. And then you read of Jesus being called God's son. And you, and you think, if you're the one reading the Bible, you go, well, is this another one like the other ones of God's son? Or is this the one? This is the passage that shows he is the one. This is not an Adam who was called God's son and who was tempted and who failed. This is not David who was called God's son and was tempted and failed. This is not Israel who was called God's son and was tempted and failed. This is God's son par excellence. This is Jesus. This is great stuff. And that's what I want to finish with this morning. No one loved the word, absolutely. But no one loved the word made flesh. No one loved Jesus. Jesus really is the one that the whole Bible was waiting for. They were waiting for the guy. He's shown here to be that guy. He's the real deal. But he's more than that. He's not just the one that the, the Bible was waiting for. He's the one that every single person in history has been looking for, whether they knew it or not. If you have known in your life that the, you've been looking for something or someone, he's it. In other words, if you can identify with that old U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, you know you're looking for something, but you haven't found it. He's what you're looking for. Jesus is it. He is so good. And, I, and you see it here. I, I love the, the, the part here where Jesus goes to get baptized and John goes, I can't baptize you. <laughs> you should baptize me. You're the, you're the man. And I love it. But Jesus says, no, 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 we need to do this. We need to do it properly. We need to fulfill all righteousness. That's what he says. And I love that phrase because he's the guy that does fulfill all righteousness. He's the one that does it right, fully, perfectly, uh, comprehensively all the time. That sums him up. Jesus was the one person in the world, in the history of the world, who didn't need to be baptized. We spoke about baptism last week, and I said that symbolically baptism was about symbolically being washed, cleansed, and living a new life of repentance. Jesus didn't need any of that. He was the one person in history who didn't need to be washed clean and didn't need to live a life of repentance because he never lived his own way. He always lived God's way. And yet he does it here. And here he does it not because he was unclean. He does it to identify that this message of God cleaning and, and repentance being needed, he's identified with that message. And he identifies with us as human beings who need this. He fulfills all righteousness. But that's, the, that's what he does. He does what needs to be done all the time. That is so different to what I see when I look around me in this world. And sadly, so different to what I see in my own heart and my own life. Today, as I look around, I see people that take shortcuts, not people who fulfill all righteousness. Today, I see people who portray a public persona as if they fulfill all righteousness, and yet their private lives are very, very different. Today, I see people that take the easy way out, or they, they get the least hurt for the maximum profit. And I'm talking about myself as well, not Jesus. He did the hard yards all the time. He did the right thing on every occasion. He took maximum shame and pain for, all, for the good of others. He literally fulfilled all righteousness at all times. 
not only was he the one who didn't need to be baptized, he didn't need to become human and go through this life. He did it for you and I to fulfill all righteousness and because of his love for us. He certainly didn't need to be fasting in the wilderness, tempted by the devil to worship him. He was the one who should have been being worshipped. He certainly didn't need to go to the cross. No one else uh, does this. He's the only one who fulfills all righteousness. You will not find what you find in Jesus in anything else or anyone else in this world. All the people that you might look to for inspiration and example, God bless them for whatever they provide for you and that, but all of them are flawed. All of them. That's why you'll always be let down if you look for satisfaction or perfection in anyone else. No one else can do what Jesus does. We see this at times in our lives, don't we? There comes a time in every child's life when they when they realize that their parents are human. For most of us, we've had a time where our parents are everything and we almost feel like they, they, they're not weak and they don't make mistakes, but there comes a time when we realize they're human. There comes a time when everyone that we hold on a pedestal romantically, we realize, no, no, actually they're human. There's an old saying that you should never meet your idols, and it's true, because whoever your idol is, whether it's a politician or a musician or a sports star or a, a leader or a person of influence, whether it's someone who's really talented or a Christian minister, all will let us down when we look at them more deeply. Scratch the surface of them all and you will find flaws. And some of those flaws will be significant. And that can be heartbreaking. Some of you will, as I say this, will remember times that the moment you realized someone you had huge admiration for had another side to them you didn't know about. The time you found out that someone who had profoundly influenced you had a certain belief or behavior that just ruined the, the image. It always happens. And I'm not just talking about other people. It's when we examine ourselves, this is the same for us. We don't just want to point the fingers at other people. We're all in the same boat. We are capable of good and bad, but we're not just capable of it. We do good and bad. We do some things in an honorable way and a disciplined way and a good way. And we do other things in a shortcut way, a shoddy way, a, a selfish way. This weekend, New Zealand's had the privilege of celebrating Anzac Day yesterday. And Anzac Day itself demonstrates this. There are two sides to Anzac Day. On the one hand, we remember the evils and atrocities of war perpetrated by human beings at the exact same time that we rejoice in the sacrifice and service and brotherhood of others. There's always this mix in human beings, but not wonderfully in Jesus. Jesus fulfills all righteousness all the time. Other things in life might look like they have the answers. Other things in life might look like they will provide you with what you need. Only Jesus does. Isn't it good we've got it? Nothing in this life can be trusted like Jesus. Never takes the easy way out. Never takes the shortcut. Never looks out for number one. Never wrong in his advice. Always the perfect example. He is the God's son that we need. Isn't it great? We've got him. And so, friends, can I encourage you this morning? Know and love the word. Know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, just wonderful example of the Lord Jesus. I pray that it would lead us to a greater love and thanks for him, a greater ability to live for him. And we thank you that you've given us your word so that we can learn of him, follow him, trust him, 
Help us in all this we ask, for we ask it in his precious name. Amen.